How many of you have been enjoying the, the series that we started a few weeks back on the book of Romans? Amen. I'm telling you what, Romans is buckle up. I told you buckle up because it's tough. Amen. There's some things where, where Paul just says straight out we have to deal with them. And this passage right here in chapter 5 that I'm going to unpack this morning, I thought I was going to really deal with two different principles, but I just the more I got into it, the more I, I just realized I've got I've to take the first five verses and really unpack them and and then uh, next next week, actually, actually, Pastor Joel is going to continue on in the in the series, and so I'm going to ask him to go to chapter six and leave me chapter five. Can I can I ask you to do that? Okay, cool. All right, cool. I'm asking nicely. It's, it's good. It's good because I'm excited. I've already got some stuff, but I realize, man, I'm going to be preaching the everlasting gospel if I open this whole thing up this morning. Amen. So we're gonna we're gonna start with Romans chapter five, verse one. And it says, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, let me, let me time out there. We, we, we really talked about justification, justified, the word justified. It's like, it's a, it's a legal declaration uh, that God has done to declare that you're in right standing. It's like justified, never sinned, justified. Okay, so we unpacked that last week. And, and what was really, to me, really profound about that is it was talking about how he actually justified the ungodly. Like, wait a minute, I thought you just justified good people. I thought you justified the people that kind of, you know, earned everything. And he, didn't. he actually provided this first. And then we access that justification. We step into that by our faith. And I've always said this picture of faith as an attachment. You know, that, that decision that I make, that trust that I have, that lean that I have into God with my whole heart, with everything that's within me, it's like that, it's like that anchor that I can hold on that, that brings me into that place. Okay, so we're going to continue. Through Him, we've also obtained access, somebody say access, by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, endurance, endurance produces character, character produces hope. Hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. So Paul continues on with this theme of justification, which is that judicial act, and the result of that is peace with God, right standing with God. A person is made aware of the gospel, of the good news, and then when they put their trust in God, their faith are attached, as I said before, if you will, and the relationship and communion with God again. How many of you have ever been out of sorts with somebody, and then, you know, through a series of whatever it is, you know, repentance, hey, I'm sorry, would you please forgive me, you realize that now there's, now there's a grace, there's a, yes, this is a good relation, and it feels so good, Amen. Well, this is what's happening with justification. And, and, and then basically, but that's just the first part of the journey. So I'm going to make some statements. There's nothing like being in relationship with God and in peace with God. The first statement I want to make this morning is justification is just the beginning of the journey. That's the activation of something that absolutely has changed our life. Romans 5.2 let me, let me unpack this again. Through Him, we've also obtained access by faith into this grace which we stand and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. So it's like that reset. It's like that relationship that was always supposed to be with God until sin separated 
and initiated and stained it. How many of you have had relationships that have been broken that you recognize will probably never be the same? Even when you forgive, even when you walk through, there's just something that's changed. Well, see, this is the thing with God. That's not how God looks at relationships. And so basically, we walk into this thing. The second statement I want to make is justification changes our status. Okay, so it's kind of like being on the outside, and now you're on the inside. We were on the wrong side, and now we're on the right side. We were on the downside, and now we're on the upside. I mean, it's kind of like that change of status. We were in the back, and now we're in the front. Okay, and and sometimes to get your head wrapped around that, it's crazy. It's like showing up for an event, and there's a big long line, and you're thinking, oh man, it's going to take so long, and somebody shows up, and they basically have a backstage pass. They walk you right up and right in. That is really amazing. It's like there was a a number of years ago, it was the first mission trip that Robbie and I went on. It was to Hong Kong and then into the Philippines. And we had this huge entourage. I mean, there was like 27 or 28 people. It was huge for a mission because, you you know, everybody's got their bags and they got their stuff and they got, and so we're, we land in, in Manila and basically you have to go through airport security Now, I don't know about you, but just two people or one person going through airport security is something. And But the guy that we were with had started a Bible college in the Philippines, and he had led the general of the Filipino army to Christ. So we show up with this 28-person, 27-person entourage, and his wife shows up, and they called her Mom Saavedra. And she just kind of does this. She looks at the she looks at the at the check-in. She looks at the security, and she just goes like this, and boom, twenty-eight people just walk through. I mean, we didn't have to have bag scanned. We didn't have to. It's like that's access. See, that's the, that's the kind of access we're talking about. Uh, relation. See, if you think about this, it was relationship that changed access. You know, if we wouldn't have had relationship with somebody on that end of things, there wouldn't have been the access that we ended up gaining. Relationship with God gives you access that you don't have before that relationship. That's access. We don't understand how powerful grace is and how important it is that we have access into this grace and that we stand in grace. If there's nothing that you come away from with this message, except recognizing that you have access and that you're standing in a different place, I will feel like I have done what I'm supposed to do. It brings to story the the in John chapter five. There's a story of a of a paralytic, a paralyzed man that basically there was this pool. It's called the pool of Bethesda, and the once a year the angel would come down and stir the pool would stir the pool. And whoever got in first, he only had one, get, one person could get in. The person that got in first would get healed. And so the Bible says that he's, he's been waiting. Jesus encountered him. He'd been waiting at the side of this pool for over 30 years. And I started thinking about that in my head. And I'm going, can you imagine, number one, the faith that it took to, to, for somebody even to actually take him and position him there and then the anticipation, and the faith, and then the disappointment. I don't know about you, but maybe after two or three times of coming to the altar, I might not come up anymore. 
30, I think the Bible says 36 times, 37 times. Every year, he comes in and he's there and he's waiting and he's anticipating and somebody is there with him. Somebody has brought him there. They're waiting. They're anticipating. And then, you know, if I was there and, and, and maybe I've been coming year after year and I'm seeing this guy, I'd be like, man, I want this guy to get healed. And so the next time that, that, that pool, pool is stirred by the angel, I'm going to grab him and throw him in, right? And I'm ready. And then it comes. I'm like, yeah, but my own stuff. Sorry, bro, I'm getting in first. So, so, so to me, you know, when we, when we look at this, Jesus shows up, and that's access. And not only do you have access, but now you're standing in grace. Somebody say, standing in grace. Which is one of the most powerful things that we see. And I see grace as the forceful expression of God's favor. Something that we didn't earn. Something that we didn't merit. And not only do we have access, but our standing is changed. Because of justification, and then your response, because it does require you to respond. Your response of faith, your status has changed from the kingdom of darkness and brokenness to the kingdom of light and life eternal. You have a new spiritual address. This is crazy because in our natural thinking, we don't really get this. I know what my address is. You know, that's 101, 100 Diamond Heights Road, Old Town, Idaho, 83822. But actually, the Bible says that I have a spiritual address now. Okay, and, and, and Jesus, when he was talking about his leaving, he said, listen, my, in my father's house, there's many mansions. I go to prepare a place for you. That place has your address on it. If you access it by faith and you come into this justification that God has provided. That's as simple as it is. You got a new address. You got a second address. You got a spiritual address. You not only have a natural address, but you got a spiritual address. And it's already there. It's waiting. It's in the heart of God. You, you went from being dead in your trespasses to being alive and seated with Him in heavenly places. It's like you're seated in a different place. And when you're seated in that different place, you have a different perspective. You've got a heavenly perspective and not an earthly natural perspective. It's like sitting in the back with no way forward and somebody bringing you up. And you don't have to stand on the slippery slope of sin, on the changing slope of culture, or the public opinion, but you stand in the promises and you stand in the grace of God. That's what Paul is writing. And I'm telling you what, I believe him. I mean, when you read about what Paul encountered, he saw stuff that we didn't see. He had an encounter that we didn't have. I mean, he writes about being lifted up into the, into the heavenlies, into the third heavens. And then he also writes this about, about like, well, well, there's stuff I saw that I'm not permitted to actually share with you. I'm like, bro, are you kidding me? So he's telling us about this, and it's an amazing thing. It means that I have peace with God. I have access with God. I'm standing in grace. I'm doing my grace happy dance. Come on, you know? I'm like, I'm a grace happy dance. It's awesome. That's cool. I love grace. And then verse 3 pops out at you. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings. Hold on. Wait a minute. I got a problem with that because nobody really likes suffering. 
But he says, actually, not just... He didn't write this. He didn't say, so we tolerate our sufferings. He says, we rejoice in our sufferings. Are you kidding me? That's not natural. That's not normal. Let me read this. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. There's a whole lot of producing there that I'm really not sure that I'm good with. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Wait a minute, wait a minute, hold it, hold it. I'm okay with that peace and grace stuff. I love that. I'm okay with access. I'm okay with, man, I'm, I'm seated. I got a spiritual address that's different. But who likes suffering? And who likes tribulation? Let me continue to unpack this. Tribulation or suffering defined would be anything that causes you distress. Physical, emotional, relational, financial, loss of loved ones, loss of a child, maybe a miscarriage, divorce. And let's be honest, there's a ton of suffering that our fellow Christians face in other parts of the world that don't touch us. I know a a very good friend of mine that basically when they go to minister in, in one particular country, they have you know guys with guns on top of the church just to protect them walking in. When you go in there, you're, you're, you're believing and hoping that you'll come out. Starved, imprisoned, shunned, martyred. We don't, we don't really... When's the last time we've been starved, imprisoned, martyred? So we have to get a perspective. Let's look at Hebrews. In Hebrews 11.32, And what more shall I say? For time would fail to tell me of Gideon, of Barak, of Samson, of Jephthah, of David, of Samuel, and the prophets. This reads like a Braveheart movie, right? Who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouth of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Women received back their dead by resurrection. I'm like, yes! Yes! But you got to (laughs) continue. Freedom! But you got to continue. Because what does it go on saying in Hebrews? It says this. Some were tortured. Refusing to accept release. So that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed with a sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. And all these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised, since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us they should not be made perfect. See, to the early church, tribulation and suffering were expected life. We typically don't present Jesus like that. Come on, man. Give your life to Jesus. Everything will be peachy keen. Peachy clean. Happy clappy. Right? I mean, that's how we, you know, we, we, we kind of present it. In fact, the, the apostles had a really strange response to trials. 
They were weird, y'all. Let me read a couple passages of Scripture here. Acts 5, 40-42. And when they called the apostles in, they beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. Then they left the presence of the council rejoicing. Are you kidding me? Rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. And then what did they do every day in the temple and from house to house? They did not cease preaching and teaching that Jesus, that Christ is Jesus. Isn't that an amazing response? That's not a natural response. That's a supernatural response. Or how about Acts 16, 22 through 26? And the crowd joined in attacking them. And the magistrates tore the garments off of them and gave orders to beat them with rods. And when they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. Having received this order, he put them into the inner prison, fastened their feet in stocks. And about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. Um, would that be our response? Would that, be, would that be our reflection? Their response was to suffering was to pray and to worship. They recognized that something was being produced in those trials. They recognized that something, count it all joy, James writes, when you fall into various trials. Oh, that's so difficult. Because something's being produced. Or how about another passage in Hebrews 10? Hebrews 10.34. For you had compassion on those in prison. Now listen, here it is. And you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property since you knew that yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. I'm thinking, would that be our response? No. You know, because we got a sign up that this is insured by Smith & Wesson. Right? I mean, our response is not that kind of response. It's like, what in the world? It's like, you know what? You can do what you want on this address because I got a better address. You can do what you want in this home and that's because I got a mansion up in heaven. You know what I'm saying? If Jesus prepared a room for me, and he's honestly, it's better than anything you built, right? Anything I can build. So I'm like, their response was crazy. Why? Because it was a, nat a supernatural response. See, we have a poor theology when it comes to trials and suffering. And some of it becomes because of a prosperity gospel. Because we're such a blessed nation. I love taking people on a mission trip. I love taking them to a place like Philippines or Hong Kong or Zimbabwe. Because they recognize all of the things that we want to complain about in this country is what these people would, would love to have. I was in Zimbabwe a number of years ago and I saw this young Young fellow, he's probably in his early 20s, and he's sitting at a railroad crossing, and he's got a green flag and a red flag. And all he does is when somebody drives up, basically, he gives them a green flag or gives them the red flag in case a train might be coming. So I'm asking the pastor that I'm with, I'm like, tell me, you know, what's going on with that? I said, yeah, he'll sit there all day, and the train might come once. And he probably hasn't been paid for three months. But if he walks off the job, he's guaranteed he won't be paid. And I'm like, wow, that's crazy. And tons of Christian cliches, most of them not biblical, come from trying to wrap our head around suffering because it's a hard thing to, it's a hard thing to understand. I'm getting hammered. The devil must be doing it. 
And maybe not my poor choices or my consequences. And sometimes it is. I mean, Jesus told Peter that Satan desires to sift you. Right? Here's the crazy response. What did Jesus say? He says, I'm going to pray for you. Like, wait a minute, Jesus. If you know that Satan wants to sift me, why don't you just like rebuke the devil? It's like, no, I'm going to pray for you because it's going to produce something in you. It's going to produce endurance. It's going to produce character. And character is going to produce hope. I'm like, wow, that is really cool. And the cool thing about that is we realize that Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father interceding for us whenever we go through whatever we go through. But honestly, a lot of our suffering can be self-inflicted. You're not eating healthy, and now you're suffering. That's probably not the devil. You're being attacked on social media because you posted something and you triggered a lot of people. The response is probably not the devil. You're in a relational trial because you didn't honor someone, because you gossip, or you lied about somebody. You're in a financial trial because you haven't submitted your finances to biblical principles. You're living outside of the government and the guidelines that God says you live this way and I'm going to bless you. And then we go through consequences and we think that that's trials. Well, it is, kind of. Or, or we say stuff like, you know, if I come to the altar and I'm not healed, I must not have faith. Or I'm in sin. Or if I'm not undergoing some sort of battle, I must not be doing something for God. You hear that stuff all the time. Or my faith isn't strong enough, or someone else's faith isn't strong enough. Tim Keller writes this, While other worldviews lead us to sit in the midst of life's joys, foreseeing the coming sorrow, Christianity empowers its people to sit in the midst of this world's sorrows, tasting the coming joy. Keller also writes this regarding suffering. There's a purpose to it. And it, if faced rightly, it can drive us like a nail deep into the love of God and it, into more stability and spiritual power than you can imagine. Tribulation, suffering produces something. And even if it's self-inflicted, how many of you have had some trials and consequences from self? I have. It hopefully produces some wisdom. Don't do that again. Right? Don't do that again. But it produces perseverance. You know, it reminds me of the suffering of a woman in labor. Like, I watched my wife go through the trial and the suffering of labor. It's kind of interesting. We are having a baby. Yeah, right. She's having a baby. I'm observing. Right? I mean, I went through all the preparation stuff. I went through all the Lamaze classes. I don't even know if they do that. Stuff. I called them yuck night. I don't even know why I called them yuck night. But I basically, I remember I was ready, man. Our oldest boy, he's ready, but I'm ready, man. I'm going to be at roll my sleeves up and go into the room and all that. And then I, you know, I remember I reached out to her and I'm going to touch her because she's going through a contraction or something. And she's just like, leave me alone. Like, Okay. <laughs> She said, why don't you just go somewhere? I'm like, okay, go watch football. Cool, got a kitchen pass, no problem. But I've watched her endure that because she knew what it was going to produce. 
The problem is the Bible is telling us to endure some things without, we've got to have some hope that it's producing what God wants to produce in us. And I'm like, I've got enough character. And, and God says, no, you don't. I've got enough endurance. God says, no, you don't. And I think about this. Endurance takes some pain. If you're an athlete, it takes some pain to develop some endurance. There's just not anybody that just gets out there and can, you know, I, I, I mean, you know, run a cross-country race or run a mile without, you know, I remember playing basketball and the coach would line you up and basically, okay, it's time to run lines. I'm like, oh, I hated running lines. How many of you play basketball and you got to run lines? And we're going to run four big ones, you know, and, and, the, and, you, and to me, it's just like you're starting and you're just like, okay, down, back, down, back, down, back. You're basically about ready to puke your guts out. You know, you can't get enough water in you. And you're just like, oh, what is, well, the coach... The boss knows he's producing something in you. So when you get into the third quarter of the game, you're basically not sitting out a bench because you're not in condition. He's conditioning you. God is conditioning us through so many of these things that we walk through. And it's not always easy. But it's kind of like forging steel and and proving the strength of the blade. It's like being on the anvil of God. And I know there are people here this morning, people that are listening, you are on the anvil of God right now. You are undergoing some financial things, relational things, health things, uh, anxiety things, mental things. Maybe there's a lot of stuff that's going on in your life. Maybe you're not being sought into, but that doesn't diminish or reduce the pain that we walk through. But I'm here to tell you this is a message of hope because God is actually doing something. The perseverance is producing character and the character is producing hope. And trials give you the option to lean into God, to trust God, and to strengthen your hope. Or they also give you the opportunity to become bitter and complain. Changed character changes your perspective on hope. Biblical hope. Hope. Biblical hope is not, I hope we have pizza for dinner. It's not, I hope the check's in the mail. It's not, I hope they like me. That's not biblical hope. Biblical hope is not, wish me luck. Biblical hope is the seeing through the future Uh, The seeing of the future through the lens of the kingdom of God and recognizing that this too shall pass. One of the best legacy things that my mother handed down to me was the statement, when you go through something, she'd say, if this is the worst thing that happens to us, we're going to be okay. I can't tell you how many times I've said that. The best I can describe this process is that God wants to make your faith unbreakable. Unbreakable faith. Having joy, think about this, having joy in suffering illustrates that Christianity is supernatural. Thank you, Jesus. See, it's not natural or we'd see people celebrating every time they go through a trouble. Right? Every time they go through hardship. Because there's suffering all around us. At the first sign of hardship, do we question the goodness of God? Or do we lean into it and look at Scripture, look at passages like we are in Romans and in James? So here's a couple thoughts. Rejoicing in trial 
requires a deliberate decision. It's not automatic. It's not natural. It's a supernatural thing. You know, I have, I have physical infirmity. Let's rejoice together. I just found out I have cancer. Come on, let's do the happy dance. You know, my finances are a wreck. I just lost my job. Would you just, come on, let's go. Let's have a party. It's not natural. But yet the Bible directs us to do it. Why? Because it's supernatural. My health, my finances, would you rejoice with me? That's not our natural lean. Second statement, rejoicing in trial doesn't mean denying pain. It doesn't require a fake response. It's more than okay to ask God the hard questions. We, we begin our new born again life full of faith and hope and trials. And, that, and these trials hit that require us to cling to God. And in that process, He proves, He strengthens, He shapes our character, and He strengthens our hope in heaven. It's almost a reminder that this is not my home. This is not all that there is. Praise God, there's something that's ahead of us that is so much greater. And rejoicing in trials doesn't mean you have to stay there. Come on, don't let your suffering become your identity. Every name, every diagnosis, every sickness, bow to the name above all names. There's a a, a really good friend of ours and she's, she basically has been struggling with a, with a certain diagnosis. I was talking to her one time. She says, I don't really want people to know. And I'm like, why? She says, because I don't want to be identified with that diagnosis. I'm like, that diagnosis needs to kneel and bow at the name of Jesus. You don't have to stay there. It's like, don't, don't let your suffering become your identity. It be like the man at the pool of Bethesda. Position yourself time and time again to receive healing. I'm like, I would have been over, I mean, two times, three times, you know, year, here, year, there. I'm like, dude, I'm done. If God wanted to heal me, He would heal me. But I mean, there was a tenacity there. There was a tenacity there. There was something in him, and there was a tenacity in somebody that cared for him that said, no, we're going to keep going to the altar. We're going to keep going to Jesus. We're not going to give up on this thing. This is not, we, we don't have to, we're not going to deny that this is what happened, but we don't have to continue to live with it either. We're going to have faith. Can I have our worship team come? See, the Bible says so much about miracles, and there is a firm theology of ask. In the Bible, ask. It's okay to ask. God wants you to ask. Give us this day our daily bread. You ask not, Jesus said, so you have not. Jesus, in another situation, he, he said this. He said, healing is the children's bread. So it's okay, but don't give up. Don't give up. The Bible says so much about this. Grace is something that I believe is also voice activated. How many of you just, you know, you, you pick up your phone and say, Siri, I want you to text John. And Siri starts, I wouldn't have believed this stuff was possible 20, 30 years ago. 
I'll be going along and I'll just say something and boom, my, my watch will start talking to me. That's just like almost, that's almost evil. Just kidding. In the Old Testament, there's a story of a temple that had not been finished. People have been laboring for 13 years and it still wasn't finished. It was like that project that never got done. And, it, and, and, and the structure that God had set up was that without the temple, they couldn't worship. And what you find throughout Scripture is that where there was not worship, the land wouldn't produce. So they were, they were caught in this thing and it becomes so discouraging to them. They would just walk by it and it would be, become like an indictment. This will never change. This relationship will never be healed. This anxiety that I have will never, will never change. And so we find that, that, that God sent a leader with a prophetic declaration of grace. Remember grace. We talked about grace. Then he said to me, this is Zechariah 4, 6 and 7. Then he said to me, this is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel, not by might, not by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. Who are you, O great mountain? Before Zerubbabel, you shall become a plain, and he shall bring forward the top stone amid shouts of grace, grace to it. Remember, you have access, and you're standing in grace. And then you declare grace. It's okay. Grace is your portion. You didn't earn it. It's unmerited, but it's the forceful expression of God's favor. And when I'm looking at this, you know, what comes to and listen, like, what is your great mountain? Is your great mountain broken finances? Is your great mountain broken hope? Is your great mountain your marriage is in shambles? Is your great mountain your business is not doing well? Is your great mountain your loss, your healing, your pain? And there's something here that we have to grasp a hold of them. And we can basically declare grace, grace. And finally, this morning, I think the key that the early church had was contained in the scripture that we opened up with. If I go back to Romans 5, Paul writes, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through Him, we've also obtained access by faith into this grace. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. In this trial, I not only have peace with God, but I've obtained grace by faith. And I'm standing firmly planted in grace. My response is not to withdraw, but to lean into God, not questioning His goodness. The response then becomes supernatural because I have supernatural access. And I'm standing with a supernatural footing under me. I understand that there is a forging, a strengthening, and the grace of God will steady me. But as I go through this, I recognize that there's something beyond this, and I'm standing in a place of supernatural grace that will empower me, that will help me, that will give me hope. I went through a five-year health battle where it seemed to come out of nowhere. I have no idea. But my, my kidneys were getting hammered. I had, to, I had to like start doing some medical protocol that basically 
made me super vulnerable to infections. I was having, I was having infections basically two or three times a year. In fact, one of them was basically bad enough where I preached a couple Sundays and then I had, I went and they put me in the emergency room and kept me there for three days because I was almost septic. And as I'm walking through this thing, I recognize the, 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 the trial, not only for me, but you know what, what it had, what was doing to my family, my wife. I mean, she was being such a good trooper, but in her mind, in my mind, I'm going, will the next infection take me out? Will it, will it take 10 or 15 years off my life? And at at the same time, I had to come to a place where I said, you know what? I'm going to lean into God. I'm going to get prayer. I don't know how many times I just, Hey, Hey, Johnny, come and pray for me. Hey, Jason, come and pray for me. You guys just pray for me. Keanu, pray for me. I mean, over the course of four or five years, I just wanted, and, 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 and I recognized that even if this doesn't pass, I'm going to be whole again on that day. Even if this doesn't pass on this side of heaven, I know that it. my hope is on that side of heaven. My hope is not on this side of heaven. It's on that side of heaven. And coming up and praying, and sometimes you get weary about, yeah, I need you to pray for me. Stuff is not working right. And then one day I felt something shift. I felt God do something. And I wish you would have done it on the first day. I wish you would have done it in the first year. I wish you would have done it in the second year. I wish you would have done it in the third year or the fourth year or the fifth year, but he didn't. And in that, there was something that was being produced. There was some endurance. There was some empathy. I started empathizing because I'd just been healthy as a horse my whole stinking life. I mean, I have to watch what I ate. I I could do anything. And I realized, man... There are people that this is kind of their life and it gave me compassion for them and i realized even some of the simple things that people can't do man it just broke my heart for them but i realized god was producing something but i'm telling you what i really believe the key is that you got to be like that man at the pool of bethesda you got to be willing to say okay come on you might be the friend of a friend who needs to bring somebody to the pool of bethesda i'm telling you what this morning we're going to worship i am really believing that god is going to 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 do some things and to and to bring some grace because we have access you may be on the anvil of god today but keep keep rejoicing keep praying Keep pressing in. Let your endurance increase. Your character be shaped and redefine your hope. And stand in grace, man. Come on, you have a supernatural footing. You're not standing in an earthly, natural way. You're standing in grace. You have access by faith. You're standing in grace. I'm going to extend an invitation on a couple things. Why don't you bow your heads and your hearts with me? I'm going to tell you, if you're here and you've never accepted that invitation that brings you into the justification, the sanctification, the wholeness, the relationship with Jesus, it's already been provided for you. Revelation, it said, Jesus says this, Behold, I stand at the door and knock, and if any man would hear and open, I will come in. That's a simple invitation. You have access. You have access, but only you can open the door. If you've never taken that step of faith to attach with everything that you have and say, Jesus, I need you. 
please be Lord and Savior of my life. If you've never done that, I want you to just raise your hand right where you are. I want to agree with you. Keep your hands up. It's important. Here's your access. Here's your faith. Here's your decision. Here's how you partner with God. Thank you, Lord. Now I want you to stand up this morning. We're going to worship. And we have people that will be up here to pray. Kind of the pool of Bethesda, if you, if you will. We have people up here that will pray. And I want to just encourage you as we worship for just a few more moments. If you have somebody, something in you or somebody else that just like, like okay, I'm going to go one more time. I'm going to pray one more time. And don't even think one more time. Just think, I'm going to do this another 20 times. I'm going to do this for another. I'm going to do whatever it takes. I'm going to continually position myself where God can actually move in a way. And the, the, the Bible says in Chronicles, the eyes of the Lord roam to and fro throughout the whole earth, lurking for those whose heart is loyal to Him. I believe that God sees you. It's like Jesus saw the man at the side of the pool and He gave him access to wholeness.